everyone and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, tonight we got our very first taste of the quarterfinal round of the MLS's back tournament. Yeah, I liked the first taste. I think we're in for some treats here. <laughs> Jordan, is that a dog-sitting reference? Uh, Actually, the dogs expect treats every time I let them in. I am dog sitting right now and I've got to get into their routine. So um, I, maybe it is. I just gave them a treat before <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> in this game, it's a 3-1 win for the Philadelphia Union over Sporting Kansas City. Probably the best performance we've seen from the Union in this tournament so far. Would you agree with that, Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. I thought they looked really fluid in the way that they were attacking. And then in the second half... I, I thought they defensively were really solid and didn't give SKC many passing lanes or opportunities to break them down um, by staying in some pretty tight blocks there towards the end of the game. But 100% best Philly team we saw. And I think they match up well against a 4-3-3, though, in particular. Why do you think that is? Is it because of the midfield shape for the Union versus that three-man midfield, in this case for Sporting Kansas City? Yeah, and and it has to do with that one lone holding midfielder instead of two holding midfielders because I think it allows Brendan Aronson to have the freedom to pull that player, to play in either pocket of space. So there's almost two bigger spaces for him to play in as opposed to like three little spaces across that um, red zone or danger zone right in front of the back line. And so I think when he has those two bigger zones, he can pull that holding midfielder out, which he did time and time again with Ilya. And we'll talk about that. We've got plenty of Brendan Aronson conversation coming up because he was phenomenal in this game, especially in the first 45 minutes. I think it might have been his best half of professional soccer, at least that I've seen from him. But before we get to all Brendan Aronson all the time, let's start at the beginning of this game, or at least at the beginning of the goals. Four goals in this game, three from the Union one from Kansas City, and the first one comes in the 24th minute. It's a 15-pass sequence that ends up with Montero getting the ball in the back of the net. But there's so much detail and nuance to this goal, and it's beautiful when the ball finally is in the back of the net. I think my favorite part about it is the long, late run by Bedoya to break the back line to receive Mm. the ball. Those runs out of midfield, the late runs, are so difficult. Uh, that's why Frank Lampard scored so many goals, right? He's a lot of the times that late runner, or he assisted a lot of goals, that late runner who's getting in the box um, at just the right time and the timing of it all, because they did develop a rhythm, I think it allowed for the timing to become perfected in that. I've got three keys to this okay. goal, and that Bedoya run is my third key. So I'll start there and work, and then I'll go back to the beginning after, just because you started there. Rewind. Rewind. We're going to go in a funky order here, but it's going to work out just fine. It's a third-man run from Alejandro Bedoya. And I want to explain what that concept is here, because it sounds kind of nebulous and and confusing, but it's not. So right as Bedoya is starting to make his run, it's Gaddis who has the ball on the right side of the field. Sergio Santos then is in the middle of the field, right outside the box. Those two guys are the first and second men for the Union in this third-man illustration. Gaddis has the ball, and as he plays it to Santos, Bedoya starts his run, or continues his run, out of midfield. The back line in midfield for Sporting Kansas City then is consumed with watching Gaddis and Santos. They're consumed with watching the two guys who are directly involved in the play. 
But Doya takes advantage of that and goes undercover into the box. No one's paying attention to him. He slips into that seam in between Sporting Kansas City defenders and gets in the box as the third man because everyone else is paying attention to the first two guys. That's what the third man concept is, almost acting as that undercover operative moving into the box because no one has time to pay attention to you. I like calling the third man runner an undercover operative. I don't know why I'm thinking about spies, but apparently Alejandro <laughs> Bedoya is out here undercover oh in gosh, the box. So funny. Okay, what's key number two? Key number two, and technically in my notes it's key number one, but it's the second one I'm delivering here. Okay. It's the first pass, again, back to Bedoya. Bedoya's on the right sideline, and this is this is the pass. It's midway through the 15-pass sequence, but it's the key to unlocking this defense. Well, I think his positioning is key too. Bedoya loves playing on the right sideline. He does. And I thought about what you said, Jordan. I thought yeah. about what you said in a, a previous game against the Revolution, I believe, in the, uh, in the round of 16. Mm-hmm. Bedoya loves to hug that touchline. You're so right. Yeah, it, I just think that that is, it kind of plays into what we've already talked about. And when he does that, things open up because it has to stretch the midfield in some way. Either a winger has to come back, a center midfielder has to pull wide to position that, or that outside back has to step up to press Bedoya. So there's so many decisions that have to be made quickly in order to mark Bedoya when he floats out to the the channel. And he did stretch the defense for Sporting Kansas City. Bedoya's out wide on the right side, and he plays a ball into Aronson in the space behind Ilya and in front of the back line. It's that gap. Is that the red zone that you talk about, Jordan? That space behind the defensive midfielder? Yeah, you know who I heard that from? Chris Armas was talking about the red zone. And it is, it's that zone like right around and just beyond or behind the defensive midfielder in front of the back line. So I've just been calling it the red zone, which I kind of feel like works. I love it. I'm also going to do that now. I've heard you say it multiple (laughs) times, but this is the first time I thought of it on my own. And I I took it down in my notes as the red zone. It's called that because it's an important space. It's so important to get into that space to cause problems for the defense. And that's what this ball from Bedoya into Aronson behind Ilya in front of the back line. That's what it does. And that leads directly to my my final key. Aronson then, after he receives the ball, he plays it wide to Gaddis. But then he continues his run. He drags Ilya out of position. And that creates space for Sergio Santos in zone 14. So Aronson receives the ball from Bedoya in the red zone. Key number one. Then he plays the ball wide to Gaddis and drags Ilya out of space, out of his position. That's key number two. And then we get the third man run from Bedoya that gets him into the box. Santos plays a lovely through ball beyond the defense into the box for Bedoya, who squares it, plays it just a simple ball across the box that Montero taps in, and it's 1-0 Philadelphia. Well, the reason, too, that that run from Aronson is so important is because Bedoya's run goes off so well and he is so successful at it because that's the run that Ilya is supposed to take take and cover if that attacking midfielder doesn't track, right? Ilya is kind of like the catch-all. So by Aronson making that run, he is dragging the person who's supposed to catch that run out of the space where he's supposed to do it. So um, I really thought was interesting in the build-up to that, too. I was watching Ilya and Aronson, and Aronson saw Ilya look, check his shoulder. Aronson was on the far side of Ilya, so the, the left side of Philly's attack. Ilya checks his shoulder, sees where Aronson is, and then he, right after he checks his shoulder, Aronson makes the run to get the ball in that space. Then Ilya's reacting, right? Dragged out of that space and having to chase him because he's like, gosh, I, you know, I missed my opportunity. I'm not tracking him well enough. So I just thought that was so cheeky. Very cheeky. A a beautiful bit of possession for the Union after 
Jim Curtin wasn't particularly pleased with how his team started the game. Then they get another goal. Just two minutes later, it's Santos scoring and he runs kind of right down the field with no one touching him in the aftermath of a free kick. Peter Vermees called it later in this game and, and said that his team was on vacation because that's where this goal comes from is them being scrambled and not not stopping the ball in transition here on this goal for Santos. And then again, in the 39th minute, this is the highlight play that if you're listening to this podcast, you've almost certainly seen Aronson playmake, receive the ball and, and play a through ball into Santos again. Sporting Kansas City don't recover well from this moment either. It's in the aftermath of a corner kick. Kansas City's defending was a real problem for them, especially in this first half. I'm just so curious as to the setups defensively for SKC to like the first goal by Santos. Busio was the last player back. And I understand that he is now an experienced player, but I think you have more experienced players <laughs> who will read that that play a little bit better. That is one of those balls that where it fell you can get baited into it so easily to go and try to win that second ball off the bounce. And what happens is you lose it and then you're tracking back. It's It reminds me a lot of hockey and how def- defensemen are really patient into not bait too high up the ice into picking off a pass. They almost just retreat and let the team come at them. And it's that same concept. If Busio there just stays and retreats, his team is getting back. For sure, his team is getting back to help him. But instead, he gets caught out and then the break is on. I think we've waited just about as much as we can in this episode to to talk in detail about Brendan Aronson, the number 10 for the Philadelphia Union We've we've touched on him here and there, but this third goal that the Union score, we we talked about it. It's in the aftermath of a corner kick, and we see Brendan Aronson go to work in the attacking half, doing something that I almost never see from Brendan Aronson, playing a killer through ball into the box. So often he's almost scared. Not Maybe that's not the right word for it, but he's tentative, and he doesn't play that final ball forward. He'll turn to one side or the other, or he'll play it backwards. No, in this game and in this first half, He was assertive over and over and over again. And on this play, it's an assist to Sergio Santos in the 39th minute. Well, Joe, I think one of the reasons he's playing the ball backwards a lot is because he finds himself beyond the back line, typically near the end line. And so the logical pass and where the numbers are going to be are behind you, right? What happens here is he finds himself in such a good space and he's showing that he can do that, right? He can, he can thread a through ball with the perfect pace on it, bend everything. Everything about it was like drool worthy. It was just so beautiful. Um, And I think that's interesting because it is off of a quick break. And typically when we see Aronson do work from my standpoint in the attacking third, it's, it's going into those, what you like to call those Manchester city zones, right? He's breaking the back line, trying to pick up the ball um, or it's really tight, channels. Well, this was a a bigger channel, a bigger passing lane. And you could also use that passing lane and not play the right ball, right? You could play the early run of Montero, but he played it with the right pace to the far runner. And it was every people are going to talk about that because that was beautiful. Talk about someone stepping up when when there's a lot of hype about other teams watching him. The the transfer speculation and, and reporting about his ability to move abroad or the interest from Europe 
is at an all-time high. And he comes out and has his best game of the tournament, maybe his best game for the Philadelphia Union because he's so assertive and his teammates, again, are in the right spot. That is a good point, Jordan. Uh-huh. He does receive the ball sometimes in spaces where that forward pass isn't possible. Yeah. But it was in this game. It was possible over and over and over again. As early as the seventh minute, I had in my notes that he was trying to be more aggressive and trying to move the ball forward. It wasn't always coming off, but you could see it. He was taking risks with the ball, even taking players on on the dribble. That's not something that I've seen a lot from him before either. He went 1v1 against Martins just outside the box in the 33rd minute and took a shot that went just wide past the far post. I mean, Aronson was assertive. He was aggressive. On this goal specifically, he has that letting the ball roll through him, giving that slippery vibe that that we know. Honestly, I expected that. Yeah. Weirdly, I expected that. The pass, not so much. But in this game, he put all of his positive attacking qualities on the ball together, and he was a superstar. I like him. I picked him for young player of the tournament, didn't I? Yep, you did, Jordan. Yeah, I just had to throw that in there. I just, <laughs> I think he, I think he's so good. And to me, it's not if he's going to go to Europe, it's win. It is at this point. It 100% is. And more consistent performances where he's genuinely influencing attacking moments with the ball, that is only going to help that process be expedited and have him be gone from MLS, which is sad because we love watching him, but we can still watch him. I know. We just won't talk about him as much. Well, we will, but not (laughs) on the podcast. You're right. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, not to throw you under the bus here, but if I remember correctly, you also picked Gaddy Kinda for MVP of this tournament. Is that right? I, um, I did. I I, I don't say that again. I am not trying to throw any, any trouble your way, but Gaddy Kinda hasn't started all these games supporting for sporting Kansas City. It's been Gianluca Busio getting into the lineup for them. And I think we need to talk about that. Well, can we also just talk about Kinda coming in and changing the game? He's good. I don't understand exactly Me what's neither. going on there. He's that connection piece that the SKC midfield needed in those first, whatever it was, 50, 55 minutes. He picks up the ball in space. He either drives on the dribble to commit the next defender and takes them on. He's not afraid to go 1v1 with the ball at his feet. Or then he dishes and in his... I counted numerous one-twos that he could pull off in the midfield because in, in pushing into the attacking third because he just draws players to him. I, I thought he pressed well, too. I don't know. I don't know why he didn't start. That was a confusing one to me. Um, but you want to talk about Busio, huh? I do, because there's hype around Busio, and he's getting starts over Kinda, who is a player we both love a lot, and we've mm-hmm. liked what he brings to Sporting Kansas City, and we've talked about that in the past as well. But Busio's getting starts. He's 18 years old. He's he's getting European interest from a number of different teams that has already been reported and is out there. What I don't quite understand, though, is why. And that mm-hmm. seems to be the general question. And I'm wondering, Jordan, what have you seen, if anything, from Gianluca Busio that makes him a guy that teams from Europe are interested in? I remember when we did our season previews and we're talking about players, I mentioned Busio as a player that I was excited for on this SKC team that he could have a breakout year. I think there is something in him that is getting lost in translation between how he trains and how he plays. Hmm. And I don't know exactly what that is besides um, maybe he's 18 and he's young and he's trying to figure that out. But he does have qualities. I have seen him on the ball and his ability on the ball to break players down to break teams down, not only on the dribble, but with his ability to pass too. I don't think he defended well enough in this game. Um, 
especially putting pressure on Elliot, who they were clearly trying to funnel the ball to Elliot for him to come up. And I think Busio's pressure wasn't wasn't good enough. So I don't know. Like, those are the things that I see from him as ways to improve on the defensive side, but the qualities that he does has, have as an attacker. But I, I am confused at where that... Because clearly he's playing well enough in training to, to earn the start. Yeah. It is, it's a weird disconnect there. I, th- I think the way that you put it, something getting lost in translation, right? I think is what yeah. you said. That's kind of where I'm at as well. There are things, I agree with you, Jordan, that he does very well. We've seen him slip balls in behind the back line. We've seen him turn and get forward quickly. He's He is dangerous on the ball at times. He can take mm-hmm. quick touches to get out of pressure, all of those things. I'll add one more nitpicky area of his game that I, I think would help him really improve offensively in possession. And that's checking his shoulders and the timing that he checks his shoulders. When Gianluca Busio is is getting ready to receive the ball, when a teammate is preparing to play it to him, Busio will do one of two things, and this is obvious. He'll either check his shoulder or he won't. <laughs> Sometimes when he checks his shoulder, though, he does it too soon or, uh-huh. or he doesn't do it late enough. Either one of those things is kind of the same thing. He'll look and he'll see the defender, but then it'll be 1-1000, 2-1000 before he gets the ball. And at that point, everything has changed. He doesn't know what the picture looks like at that point. He doesn't know where the pressure is going to come from or how quickly it's going to come. He doesn't have the quality of information that he needs to make an informed decision as to whether he can turn or not. And sometimes that makes him, sometimes that puts him in positions to lose the ball. And that's if he checks his shoulder at all, because I still think there's room for improvement there as well with just checking to to see any of what's happening around him. And if you want to see someone on the opposite side of that spectrum watch Darlington Nagby and when he checks his shoulder because he always he tends to check his shoulder as he's receiving a ball the ball is in flight to him whether it's on the ground or in the air it's traveling towards him and then he's checking there and that's why he's so good at reading pressure because he knows how the defender is adapting in their pursuit of defending him and it's such a small thing but it's so important. And you see the difference when you do it like Darlington Nagby does, who has 10 plus years more experience. So there's hope yeah. here. I'm not trying to say Gianluca Busio totally. won't won't improve and won't do great things because he's already off to an incredible start. But these are the things that if you are going to make it and you are going to go to Europe, you have to evaluate every aspect of your game, every aspect. And you have to keep evaluating until you s- stop playing. Like that's what it is to be a pro. And we'll see what happens with Busio. I wanted to do that side-by-side young American comparison here. So thank you for indulging me with that. Yeah. One more. One more talking point for this game. And that's Alan Polito's goal for Sporting Kansas City. They get it in first half stoppage time. It pulls the score back to 3-1. And Kansas City never get the rest of the goals they need to get back in this game. But it's still a really nice goal that speaks to the impact that Alan Polito has had on this team. Sporting Kansas City are in possession. They advance the ball into the final third. Polito is in between the lines. He switches the point of attack to the far side, over to Russell on that far side. Then he makes an undercover back post run because the two right-sided defenders for the Union are occupied. He slips in behind Alejandro Bedoya. Bedoya can't catch up to him. Russell crosses the ball back in, and Polito scores the header. Great, great movement from Alan Polito, and that's not even talking about the switch of attack. The thing that sticks out to me is between the lines, and I... The more I watch Polito, the more I feel like he really is best when there's some space in between the lines and he can be that connection piece because then he can dish it and go. I think that's one of the things he's really good at. He's so good in that space. He's a, he's a phenomenal player anyway, 
But the way Peter Vermees is using him between the lines and having the the left-sided central midfielder almost always push high and replace Mm -hmm. him at that number nine spot in possession, it fits together so well. It, It didn't matter in this game enough because they didn't get the result. But man, he is a danger in the attack for SKC. And I think the second half was really frustrating to him. You could tell there was a couple times that uh, he seemed really frustrated because I thought that the union did a really good job of minimizing that space in between the lines. Defensively, they played really tight and Polito wasn't able to find any gaps that he could receive the ball and connect closer to goal, right? He could get the ball, but it was never in a dangerous spot where he could just dish and go. Not enough for Sporting Kansas City in this game, but they're still top of the Western Conference, weirdly, because these games in the knockout rounds don't count towards points. They are still number one in the West as we hopefully look forward to more Major League Soccer happening after this tournament down in Orlando ends. Yes. Let's hope. Let's we gotta hope. get. I think we'll, we'll get news soon enough. Those, that's me with fingers crossed. <laughs> that's not Jordan the insider there. That's a no, little disappointing. I have no but. insider. I have no inside information. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. The Philadelphia Union move on from this quarterfinal. They are into the semifinals where they will play the winner of New York City FC and the Portland Timbers. But first, before we get there, tomorrow on the next MLS Assist episode will be our analysis of LAFC versus Orlando City. I'm so excited for this one. I am too. I I think this is going to be a wild one. The quarterfinals have been great so far. They have been a treat and we will see more of that, I'm confident, going forward in this round. Yes. Until then, Joe. We're out of here. Yeah, that was a good episode. That was fun. (laughs) Jordan, thanks for chatting with me. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll be back again tomorrow.